All right, everybody. Well, good. I am excited to be here and dig into the Word. Let me, let's just take a minute and uh, kind of review where we've been, uh, just so we're all on the same page with this. So we started this series. This is our, what is this? This is our fifth week uh, of it. And so the first week, really, uh, we looked at um, James chapter 5 and just talked about prayer and what an effective prayer is. And then the second week, we actually looked in Matthew 6 at the Lord's Prayer as Jesus gave us a structure and a model to help us with our praying. And the third week, uh, we looked in uh, at Psalm 51 as really we were praying personal prayers of repentance and how to come before the Lord uh, when it's hard to come before the Lord. Uh, and last week, uh, we were in Ephesians and uh, we looked at a couple different prayers in Ephesians as, we're, uh, as we can pray for the church and pray for others in our lives. And tonight, we'll be in John 17, and there's a few different things Jesus does in this prayer, um, kind of praying for himself, praying for us, praying for others. So as, and then, you know, uh, Pastor will be wrapping this up, like he said, out of Acts chapter 4 next week. And what we hope that you're seeing is that the funnel keeps getting bigger right, uh, as kind of praying these personal prayers and moving our prayers outward. Uh, that's kind of the direction that this series has taken. Now, um, if you have your Bible, go ahead and flip open to John 17, and let me say a couple words uh, be before that. Now, some people call this the true Lord's Prayer, okay? Um, and, and the reason they say that is because in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus was giving us that teaching us that structured model for prayer, but in John 17, it's actually him praying. Okay, that, that's, that's one reason why they say that. Um, this is actually the second longest prayer that's recorded in the Bible. The first longest prayer is in Nehemiah chapter 9. So this is the second longest prayer uh, in, in, in Scripture. Now, we are not going to have the time to really, like, dig into every nook and cranny of this thing. I was reading as I was preparing and reading through some commentaries. There was some famous pastor at some point that taught on John 17 for 55 weeks. It's over a year. We're not doing that, okay? We got 55 minutes, right? Um, so, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to sit in with the disciples, and we are going to uh, kind of be the fly on the wall as we listen to Jesus pray to his Father, and then take some lessons from this prayer and apply it to our own prayer lives. Okay, sound good? All right, so um, I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to read John 17. We're going to read the whole thing. And then we're going to go back and kind of do some referencing as we go through it. John 17, starting at verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me 
in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves." I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we do pray that you illuminate this to us, that you give us revelation tonight, that, Lord, you help us to pray with the power and the depth and the intimacy that Jesus did that we just read. 
We ask this in your name. Amen. Let's grab a seat. Uh, A few quick words of context with this. Um, The context of John 17 is John 13 through 16. Okay, that's the context. Um, uh, So when you look at what's going on here, the disciples in the beginning of John 13, they went up to the upper room. Okay, this is the night before Jesus was betrayed. The events um, that go way back in chapter 13 and then through 14, 15, 16, the following unfolded. Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Jesus predicts Judas's betrayal. Jesus foretells Peter's denial. He teaches what is called the upper room discourse. Okay? The upper room discourse. And he, he taught some things, uh, such as in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That was a part of the upper room discourse where he's with the disciples or sharing the Last Supper, all of that. He gave exhaustive teaching on the Holy Spirit. Exhaustive teaching on the Holy Spirit. Um, he also says in John 15 is where he gave another I am uh, statement of saying, I am the true vine. So there is a lot of teaching, a lot of key events that are going on in John 13, 14, 15, and 16. Okay? It's a long church service that night. And then we get to the end of that, and Jesus bursts out into this glorious prayer. It's a glorious prayer, isn't it? Just burst out into it. So right before he goes to the garden, right before he is arrested, right before he is tried and crucified, he, gives the, he gave the most poignant, purposeful teaching to his disciples of his entire ministry through John 13 through 16. And then he caps that off with a very poignant, purposeful prayer in John 17. Okay, that's the context that we're talking about. And what we need to keep in mind here is that as much as Jesus is in prayer mode in John 17, I mean, he's in full-on prayer mode, right? I mean, he is just talking to Father God and just laying it all out there. As much as he's in prayer mode, he's also in teaching mode. He's very well aware that his disciples are sitting around him, listening in. He's very well aware of that. He's very well aware that the Holy Spirit will inspire John to record this prayer as well for our benefits. Jesus is very well aware of these things, okay? So he's, it's very purposeful. This isn't just a peek into his prayer time. It's also a lesson for us in how to pray. You follow me? That's where we're at, okay? Um, and a lot of people call this prayer also the, the holy of holies because it's such an intimate look uh, of Jesus' relationship with Father God. Oftentimes through the Gospels, we hear of Jesus going out to a lonely, solitary place to pray, right? I'm guessing this is the type of praying he was doing. I mean, that's big time, all right? So, This prayer and many prayers in the Bible uh, are full of proclamations. They're full of proclamations about who God is and God's work. Now, we can't go through all of that or we'll be here for the 55-week series. We're not going to go through all that. Um, But what we also see in here is Jesus is not just proclaiming things. He's also petitioning 
a few things. He petitions four things that we're going to look at, that the proclamations fill out. So we're going to look at these four things that Jesus pray for, prays so that we ourselves can pray like Jesus and bring this ancient prayer into our modern lives. That's our goal for tonight. So we're going to look at the four petitions. We're going to talk about a couple themes in each petition. And then we're going to take a moment to pray, you yourselves, in light of the petition that we just read. So we're going to practice immediately. Okay? There's going to be application in the midst of the lesson tonight. It's going to be fun. So here's the first one. The first petition is this. Um, Praying for Jesus to be glorified in you. Praying for Jesus to be glorified, parentheses, in you. We see this in verse 1 and 4. Jesus says in verse 1, he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. And down in verse 4, I have glorified you on earth. And he even says again in verse 5, Now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had. So, he's talking about glory. The first part of the prayer, Jesus is honoring his Father in heaven, our Father in heaven, as he taught us in Matthew 6. That's how he starts off his prayer here. He's praying for himself. So this whole first thing that we talk about here is glory. What is glory? What does glory mean? There's a few primary meanings of glory. Um, when you go back to the Hebrew for glory, that word has a root in meaning heavy. Okay? Heavy. So one could say, I am much more glorious than Dan Shryock. You could say that. And that would be a very accurate statement. I have more glory than Dan does. Because heavy is a meaning of glory. Now, another one, you know, which, which I think we kind of, uh, is very familiar, and you see this kind of in the Greek, um, is this whole idea of honor. Um, uh, you know, uh, praise, uh, magnitude. You know, when we talk about magnifying the Lord, you know, giving praise, lifting him up, if something has magnitude in it, it is heavy. You see how these kind of work together, okay? That's how these work together. The third kind of uh, meaning of glory is to reveal someone's true nature, specifically God. Reveal someone's true nature nature, and this is a big theme in the book of John. Oftentimes, in John, Jesus talks about God being glorified. It's referencing an aspect of his redemptive work, which is about, in this case, it's about to be ultimately displayed on the cross as perfect love and justice meets in perfect harmony. And Jesus alludes this in verse 2. You know, he talks about in verse 2 about, um, you know, he's given authority to give eternal life. So in these first passages, Jesus kind of alludes to this whole thing of his redemptive work. Now, as Jesus is praying for himself to be glorified, you need to understand glory is the foundation of the prayer. Did you realize how many times we said or you heard the word glory or glorify or glorified as we read John 17? I mean, it's, a, it's, the, it's the thread through the whole thing. It's the thread through the whole thing. It's the foundation of the prayer, and rightly so. God's glory 
should be the foundation of our prayers. If we want anyone other than Jesus to be glorified, most often that's us, right? If we want anyone other than Jesus to be glorified, I'll tell you what, our prayers will be unanswered. They, 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 they will be unanswered. James tells us you pray and you don't get what you pray for because you pray with wrong motives. If you don't pray with the ultimate motive of God being glorified, you can pray for healing, you can pray for comfort, you can pray for all that, but not as an end of itself for you or someone else. It's ultimately for God to be glorified as there is a healing or there is comfort or there is provision, right? You guys follow me? Isaiah 42, 8 says clearly God will not share his glory. He will not share his glory. Okay, so glory has to be the ultimate end of any prayer that we pray, and it was the main part of what Jesus is praying here. Now, in verse 3, he talks about what eternal life is. It's knowing God. Now, this is much deeper than head knowledge. This is about intimacy. This is about heart-level connection here. And as we read through this prayer, don't you get a feeling for this intimate relationship that Jesus had with the Father? I mean, could, couldn't you, can you sense that? Could you feel it, this intimacy that Jesus had? Now listen, Jesus wants each of us to have this heart-level connection, this belief, this knowledge, this intimacy with the Father through him. Eternal life, full life, doesn't come from what's in your head. Eternal life, a full life, comes from the love of God in your heart. That's the knowledge that Jesus is talking about here. Okay? And that love is centered on the personal work of Jesus. Dan, you know, in one of the prayers last week I, that, that Dan was going over, this just hit me hard. Um, it, it speaks to this. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19. This is the end of that, of, of that prayer in chapter 3. It says, And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. The love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's a, man, that is a verse to stick on your mirror that you see every day. To ask and pray for yourself, to pray for those around you. So in this first part of Jesus' prayer, as he's talking about himself to be glorified and be glorified in us, we, you know, he's talking about glory. He's talking about an intimate knowledge. And then he also talks about accomplished work. Accomplished work. Another way that God is glorified is by his people accomplishing the work that he prepared for them to do. Now listen, Jesus came to do a job. He came to do a job. Jesus came to do the work of redemption. I mean, what does verse 4 say? I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do, Father. Jesus came to do a job. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, says that he came to seek and save the lost. John 10, 10, says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 says that the reason Jesus came was to destroy the work of the devil. 
You, so you look at these, Jesus' work was all about redemption and all the aspects that surround redemption. He was very clear on why he was here. And because he did the work that he did, God got glory for it. We are created to participate and play a role in this redemptive work. We're, we're created to do that. We get to, we get to be on God's team. Isn't that cool? And we have everything that we need to be able to do that. You know, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Love this verse. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay? So, we all, have a, we all have a role to play. We all have a job to do. We all have a work to accomplish that, will, that is designed to give God glory because it's what he designed you for. Now, if you need help discovering this, here's a few things that you can do. The first thing you can do, Pastor already talked about it, you need to go to starting point if you haven't done that. Jump in on Sunday morning. Do it when we do the class on Wednesday night. But that that will help you find out your purpose as you discover how you're built and wired and gifts and all that sort of thing. The second thing you could do, you could talk to some Christian friends that you have. Talk to people in your small group. You know, talk to some other people around here. Um, ask for their wisdom, for their discernment, for their encouragement. And the third thing, and the biggest thing, you always say the best for last. See, you pray and you ask the Holy Spirit for direction. Okay? Here's what I want you to do. We're going to do our first prayer practice. Does everyone have this handout? You should have got it with your notes. If you don't, raise your hand and someone will get that to you. Thank you, gentlemen. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a minute and quietly in your seat, you're going to pray. You're going to practice this part of the prayer. I want you to read John 17.1. We got one over here. Got a couple back there. I want you to read John 17, 1. And then here's the prayer practice. Pray for Jesus to be magnified in your life. This, the glory. Be glorified in you. Pray for your relationship to deepen with him. That heart level intimacy and knowledge. And pray that God would give you clarity regarding the work that he has prepared you for. So you can be part of this great work of redemption. So I want to give you just a minute Bow your head, read the scripture, and pray, and then we'll jump into our next part of this prayer. Father, at this hour, we pray that Jesus would be magnified in us, in our lives, that he would receive all honor, that, that his presence would be felt and heavy in us. And Lord, I pray that you would give us all this deep heart knowledge, this intimacy with you. Lord, that it would, we wouldn't just know about you in our heads, but we would deeply know you in our hearts, deepen our faith. And Father, I pray that you give us wisdom, that you give us clarity on the work that you have created us for 
that we may accomplish it for your glory and for the redemption of this world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. The second part of Jesus' prayer we're going to look at is, uh, is praying for those whom you have influence to be protected. We see this in verse 11 and 15. Verse 11, he says, I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. He's talking about his disciples. The disciples realize at this point, he's like, whoa, he's praying for us right now. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me that they may be one as we are one. And then in verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil, evil one. The second group that Jesus prays for, he prayed for himself. The second group he prays for is his disciples sitting around the table with him. People whom he's lived with. People whom he's led. That he's ministered to and he ministered with. Uh, the ones that he's had the most direct influence on in his earthly ministry. And this first petition for them is for them to be kept. That is to be protected. Now let's talk about what that means. In verses 11 and 12, he talks about, he prays that they would be kept in his name. Kept in God's name. Meaning this, that their identity is guarded. Their identity in God, their identity in Christ is guarded. That they would know whose they are at all times. Whose they are. That they are children of God. And that, because here, here's, here's the thing, when, when, when we're saved, our identity is completely changed. When God saves us, our identity is completely changed. We go from lost, you guys help me out, to being found. That's completely changed, right? We go from being an enemy to being family. We go from being an orphan to being a what? A child, a son, a daughter. Our identity completely shifts when God saves us. Jesus praying for his disciples those that he has influence over, that they remember that. Isn't it easy to forget who we are sometimes? When life squeezes in and things get rough and things grab our attention, it's easy to forget who we are and whose we are. Now because of sin, because of the enemy, because of this fallen world that we live in, our identity will be attacked. It's not just our forgetfulness, it's an attack. This is why Jesus is praying that they would be kept, that they would be, that they would be protected. When we forget who we are, we lose our effectiveness for the kingdom. Think of your children. Think of your grandkids. Think of the youth in our church, the kids across the hall and the students on the other side of the city from us right now. Think of the voices in this world that scream at them every day, unrelenting, at school, 
through media, through whatever. There's just voices screaming at them that drown out so easily the voice of truth. When those voices scream at them, it's so easy for them to forget who they are and whose they are, isn't it? But here's the thing. Your prayers for them matter. Your prayers for them are the strongest weapon you have to fight the enemy, to fight a fallen world, to fight sin. But listen, don't just pray vaguely. Don't just pray timidly. Pray with power because of the Spirit in you. Because greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. And for these students, for these kids who who have made professions of faith, that they realize that greater is the one in them is greater than he who is in the world. Our prayers matter to build them up. We pray with power and confidence. We don't pray with the woe is me and isn't it so hard and the world is so bad and this helpless. No, we're not supposed to pray that way. Jesus doesn't pray that way. We have this prayer to learn how to pray. And we can pray with confidence. We can pray with power. And as you pray for those within your influence, Jesus prayed for those in his influence. We pray for those who are under our influence. We pray that they they would be kept in God's name. We pray specifically for Jesus to be glorified in them. Have you prayed that for those that you influence? Your kids, your spouse, your friends, your whoever? Do you pray that God would be glorified in them? I was convicted. I don't pray that like I should, but Jesus does repeatedly. And that we pray that they would have a laser focus on the personal work of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 13. Verse 13 says, where are we? Where is it? It's right here. There it is. But now I am coming to you that these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Check this out. We pray for joy, right? Lord, give us, your, give us joy. We want them to be joyful, Lord. That's okay. It's not bad. It's not wrong. Do you pray for Christ's joy to be filled in them? Think about that. Jesus was the most joyful person to ever walk this earth. And the reason he was that joyful is because of his intimacy with the Father and his solid identity with the Father. When you, man, think of praying for Christ's joy to be fulfilled in those that you have influence with. That's a powerful prayer, isn't it? It's a powerful prayer. So there's this whole idea of being kept in God's name, and now this other petition of being kept from the evil one that we read in verse 15, which is very reflexive of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 13, where he says, deliver us from evil, right? It's very reflexive here. Here's the deal. The enemy will come after you and those under you. 
He will. He will get after you. Your job is to do some spiritual battle. Serious spiritual battle. Two stories real quick. Um, so it was about, oh gosh, this might have been five years ago. One of my kids, I won't tell you which one it was. I won't embarrass them. Um, one of my kids uh, came up to our room and, um, and, and they were fearful. were scared. Woke up with some nightmares or whatever and they were seeing things. And they were freaked out. Okay? Now, we had just moved into this home and we don't know everything. Okay, you know, what, I don't know what was going on with that. And Dawn took him into the bathroom to try to, I think, put some cold water on him, just kind of settle him down. She's in the bathroom. I'll tell you what. I went full-on warrior prayer mode. One of the few times in my life I did this. I mean, I'm walking the room. I'm like praying Jesus. I'm casting out whatever I could. You know, I'm pleading the blood of Jesus. I'm going full-board prayer warrior to cast out whatever was in my house if there was anything there and for the protection of my kids and my family. I mean, I, mean, I, I was going nuts with it for just five, ten minutes while Don was in the bathroom. I'm just out loud. I'm, you know, you ever had one of those times? I was just doing it. Um, that, I mean, because I was just at that moment, part of it was, I'm like, I'm, there might be some things going on here that are way above my pay grade, and I need Jesus to really show up in a big way right now. I mean, so he was kind of where I was going. Um, the other thing, I'll tell you, this happened tonight. Ha- absolutely happened tonight, like two hours ago. Okay? Little, little clue to the Mobley family. I, I come in here tonight, pastor walks in behind me, he's like, how you doing? I'm like, I gotta get my head straight. Because <laughs> we just had like an emotional volcano go off in my house before I left. You know, uh, I'm not gonna go into all the details of what happened, but it affected about, about everybody in my family. And here's the thing. You know, and pastor is like, well, you, might, you must have a good message tonight then. I'm like, I hope so. <laughs> um, when you have an opportunity to minister, okay, I'm teaching tonight. Um, one of my kids who was having a struggle, she got a solo with a kid's choir. That, you know, I mean, that's good for missions. And I mean, these opportunities to minister to like a crowd of people. Do you think that makes the enemy happy? No, he doesn't like that. Do you think he's going to throw every trick he has at you at those moments? The moment that you have the most opportunity to make a dent in his fallen kingdom and build up God's kingdom, he's going to come after you. He came after us. You know, I mean, what I was repenting of is that I didn't stop and pray in the middle of it like I should have. So I'm like praying like crazy, driving here and when I'm here, and God make the prayer go backwards kind of a thing. And fix this. Praying against the enemy. I mean, I'm, pr- I'm praying this prayer I'm telling you guys about in the green room. I mean, this happens. So you need to understand, when you guys are getting ready to do some ministry and whatever it's going to be, inviting people to Easter, singing in the choir, helping out in kids' church, serving at the thrift store, whatever it is, you got a target on your back. The people under your influence have a target on their back. And most often, you know, I hate to say that a lot of times the enemy, you know, you look, the enemies go after the young ones, don't they? To get to the older ones. And my, I see that in my life. Here's what we need to remember, though. 
as we pray this prayer in just a minute, the enemy we have, he is already defeated. This isn't some timid, Lord, help me prayer. It's not that prayer. This isn't some, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do, God. No. This is Jesus, you have defeated this guy. Your spirit is in me. You have sanctified my family. I mean, you're, you, are, you pray with boldness. You pray with confidence. You pray like Jesus prayed. So let's do that now. Look at your cards. I want you to read John uh, 17, 11 through 15. And as you can, write down a couple names of people under your influence. Your spouse, your kids, you know, people, uh, people that look to you for, for some kind of direction, whether it's at work or in your small group or whatever, and pray for the protection of their identity in Christ, that they would remember whose they are, and pray that they would be protected from the evil one, the defeated enemy. Go ahead and take a minute and pray. Father, we pray for those whom you have given us responsibility for, those who we have influence with. Lord, I pray that you flood our minds right now with the names of our kids, of our grandkids, of nieces, of nephews, of family members, of ministry partners, of small group members, of workmates, of classmates. Those Lord, that we have influence of those who know you. We pray for them specifically right now. Right now, we're not praying for the world. We're praying for those in our influence that know you. And we pray, Lord, that you would keep them in your name, that they would remember whose they are, that they would remember who is living in them, and that none of the voices in this world will drown your voice out. And we pray for them that they would be protected from the evil one, protected from the enemy, protected from his schemes, that their shield of faith would be raised high and strong to battle off all those fiery darts from the evil one. That you sanctify and consecrate our homes and our workplaces and our neighborhoods and our schools. Lord, that your kingdom would grow and would magnify and the, the influence of the enemy would diminish because he is already defeated because of you and your cross in your empty tomb. And Lord, we ask this and we pray this together in your name. Everyone said, amen. amen. Whew, all right. Good battling, everybody. All right, the second, the third thing we're going to look at, the third petition. Pray for those whom you have influence to be sanctified. To be sanctified. Jesus continues to pray for his disciples, and he makes a, a second petition. The first petition for them was to be kept, to be protected. Now it's to be sanctified. Sanctified is one of those big Bible words, okay? It's a good word. It's a great word. Don't be afraid of big Bible words. Just learn what they mean. 
In a general sense, sanctification is the process of maturing up and growing to become like Jesus. That's sanctification in the general sense. In the middle part, it's the middle part of the greater salvation process, okay? Um, Here's what I mean by that. So over here in your spiritual life, you're saved, right? A big Bible word for that is regeneration. You're made new. Filled with the Spirit, you know, you're indwelt with the Spirit. Regeneration. You were saved. Okay? Now, as you grow, um, I really don't need a dot there, but there's this whole thing of, being, of sanctification. Growing to become maturing like Christ. Growing in Christ. Then ultimately, our ultimate, you know, so this is like you were saved, we are being saved, and then we will be saved. That's supposed to be an L. Glorification. This is when we all get to heaven. Amen? Sin's no more. Death is no more. Every tear is wiped away. Okay? Have been saved, are being saved, will be saved. This is all the big idea of salvation. We're to work out our salvation. Sanctification. Okay? You guys follow that? Okay, good. So, but being sanctified can have a second meaning. And that's really what Jesus is talking about here. Uh, the context of the passage will tell us what the meanings are. Uh, it's this sense that Jesus is referring to is to be set apart and consecrated for a purpose. Okay? Sanctified. Set apart, consecrated for a purpose. Do you hear it kind of reflecting back to the first part of his prayer? You know, accomplishing the work that he made for us? Okay. Verses 17 and 19 says to be set apart in the truth of the word. The truth of Jesus and the truth of Scripture, he's praying, would be the standard that they measure their lives by. Do you hear that? The standard by which we measure our lives by, the standard by which those under our influence should measure their lives by, the truth of Christ, the truth of his word. Not what the friends say, not what the celebrity says, not what the professor or any other voice from the world says, but what God says is the standard. Verse 18 says we're to be consecrated for a purpose. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Now being sanctified, being consecrated, being godly, listen, has nothing to do with retreating from the world and the culture. It has nothing to do with retreating. Okay? It doesn't mean you create the bubble it doesn't, doesn't mean you create the bubble in which you homeschool your kids and every radio preset in your car is set to the Christian radio station and the only places you go are church and Hobby Lobby and Pizza Ranch and Chick-fil-A. Okay? At least we'll eat good and we can do crafts. I mean, that's good. <laughs> but that's not what it means. Listen. God sent Jesus into the world Because he loved the world. Jesus sent his disciples into the world because he loved the world. We send those whom we influence into the world because God loves the world and we should too. He sent us into the world. As he sends us into the world, he says, hey, I pray that as they're in the world, doing the work that you created them for do, 
glorifying me that you sanctify them, that you keep them consecrated, that you, that they are, as they infuse themselves, that they remain different. That's what it means. So what this means is those under our influence, we train them up to go into the world. We pray them up to go into the world. We send them out into the world for God's glory. And we send them out that they would be sanctified as they go. So let's pray together. Look in your sheets. Read verses 17 and 18. And pray for your kids. Pray for your grandkids. Pray for them as they go to school as your friends go to work, as your Christian friends participate in the community, that they would be consecrated for gospel mission. For gospel mission. Take a moment, bow your head, and pray for those in your influence for this. Father, we pray together. We pray for those, again, whom you have given us responsibility for, have you, whom you have given us influence in. Lord, the people sitting around us right now as we influence each other for our families, our kids, our spouses. Lord, at the end of tonight, we're going to walk out of these doors into the world. We're going to go to our neighborhoods, which are in the world. We're going to go to our workplaces, which are in the world. We're going to go to our health clubs. We're going to go to restaurants. We're going to go grocery shopping. We're going to go to school. We're going to go to all these places in the world. Lord, I pray that we are sanctified as we go. That we remember whose we are. That we remember that we are going into the world with a purpose. That that is what you have consecrated us for, just as you have consecrated your son for when he came here. Grow us up into him. Work out that sanctification in us and in those with whom we have influence. We pray this in your name. Amen. Last part. Last petition is praying for unity in the global church. Praying for unity in the global church. Look at verse 20. It says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Hey, Jesus prayed for you. He prayed for me right here. This is us. John 17, 20. That's you and me. We wouldn't, be, we wouldn't be here unless someone told us the gospel. And someone told them and them and them and them. And guess what? It goes back to the 12 guys around the table with Jesus. That's pretty cool. And he says that they may all be one. That they may all be one. This last section of this great prayer is Jesus praying for the future church. Those who will believe because of the message of the good news that the disciples shared. This is Jesus praying for you and me. This is also Jesus. Here's the humbling part of this. This is Jesus looking through time and seeing how the church will splinter in the future. He prays for that too. Jesus emphasizes the need for unity, a unity that's based on and modeled after his unity with the Father. So, unity, here's a big thing about unity in verse 21 as he prays for that. Unity builds the kingdom, doesn't it? 
Unity builds the kingdom, but division destroys influence. Division destroys influence. The world won't believe anything as long as they see arguing and infighting. They won't believe it. Because we're not, they will know we're Christians by our love. Wait, but we're not loving each other. Right? Listen, here's the thing. I mean, think about this. You have this whole, now, I'm not going to get into theological debates. That's not what my, this is an illustration. The world of Christianity, right? Three main branches. Orthodox, Roman Catholic, Protestant. Three main branches. Everything starts branching off under that, right? Let's just look at Protestants. That's our camp. I mean, you have Anglicans, Lutherans, Baptists, Pentecostals, Presbyterians, Methodists, just to name some. Do you know there's over 300 types of Baptists? I mean, I don't get that. There's a ton of types of different Pentecostals, tons of types of Lutherans. I mean, there's tons. I mean, it's crazy. And now we're not even talking about Arminians and Calvinists and dispensationalists and covenant. We're not talking about all that. I mean, when you look at Christianity as a whole, it's kind of nuts. And we wonder why we're not more influential in the world. Here's what this means for us. We've got to repent of our pride and our preferences. We got to keep the main thing, the main thing, which is Jesus and the Bible. Okay? Like I said, I'm not here for theological debates, but you understand the point I'm driving at, right? Listen, one of the greatest gifts that God gave me was when I resigned from the church that I moved to Springfield to plant and pastor. Here's why. At that point in my life, I had some very strong theological convictions. I mean, I'm, that doesn't surprise you, right? Some very strong theological convictions that caused me to be a pretty, it was a pretty critical, judgmental person. I mean, I would, man, if there was a theological argument to have, I would have it, and I would beat you down. I, it was, I was not a nice guy in some respects, Right? But here's the thing. I began to work for a faith-based nonprofit. And suddenly, I'm having to work with all kinds of different churches. Churches I had some pretty strong opinions of. And I'm like, whoa, okay, I may not agree with them on some things that I think are important, but you know what? These people still love Jesus. You know, it kind of forced me to kind of keep the main thing the main thing. Now, I still have my, what I believe is some particulars and you know, conviction. I mean, I still have that, but there's a greater sense of grace to the greater church. During that time is when I met you all, by the way, you know, that kind of led to me coming here eventually, which is kind of neat. You know, that's a whole other story we could tell one day. You know, but, but I, man, I met, a, my eyes were opened up, and God brought me to my knees in repentance of my pride. And this part of Jesus' prayer became very real to me. Okay? ecumenical is not a four-letter word. There are ways we can work with other people from other churches. We need to be, we need to, we need to exercise wisdom with that, okay? I mean, hear me, but you get the gist of what I'm saying? Okay, good. So, unity builds the kingdom, but division destroys influence. In verses 23, 21 and 23, um, Jesus says, basically, unity paves the way for belief and love. God wants people, he wants the world to know that he loves them. And for them to believe in Jesus and be saved. 
God wants that. We play a huge part in that. We can't afford, everybody, to talk bad or judge or criticize the church across town. We can't afford to do that unless they're an obvious sin. Okay? There are some caveats to this. We can't afford to be criticizing our neighbors just because they go to a different church. We also can't afford to allow things other than Jesus to define us. This is where it gets a little bit more real, okay? When we talk about tradition, when we talk about good deeds, when we talk about political affiliation, things like that, the more the church is torn apart and pulled away from the truth and purity of Christ, the more hopeless the world becomes. Is that what you want? Do you want the world to become more hopeless or more hopeful? Tell you what, our unity in Christ on the gospel is what matters. Tracking with me? Get out your sheets. I want you to read John 17, 21 and 23. And here's your prayer exercise. Pray for Christians you know at other churches. I know you all have friends. Pray for your Christian friends who will go to other churches and pray for their churches. And here's the thing. Write down one name of a non-Christian that you know that has a barrier to faith because they've been exposed to things that really aren't about Jesus. They've been exposed to politics. They've been exposed to tradition, things like that, disunity. Pray that they would see you model unity with other Christians and that through your witness, they would be saved. Take a minute and pray for that. Father, we pray together. And we pray for the Christians of the city and the churches who magnify your name and teach your word in the city. That we would be unified. Jesus, man, I pray... For my friends, I have some dear friends down the road that go to Lakeside Christian Church. I pray for, my, for those friends there. And I pray for, for Lakeside. And I pray for Pastor John down there. That they would have a powerful gospel-centered ministry. And if we would ever have an opportunity to minister that, to, for the good of your kingdom, that we, would, that we could do that. Lord, and we pray for the people that we know in our lives that don't know you yet, that have seen disunity, that have seen infighting, and it's repelled them from you. Lord, help us to repent of that. And keep the main thing the main thing. Lord, you just impressed on my heart. I pray for my neighbors, Kenneth Alexis. I don't know what their barriers are just yet. But whatever they are, Lord, you know it and bust them down. Help me and my family be a part of that. Especially as we come up in this Easter season. That we would be unified on Jesus and the gospel and the truth of your word. We pray this in your name. Everybody said? All right, let's stand up and come forward, everybody. We end our night. I, I really hope that that tonight really gave you some teeth for your prayer life as we pray through John 17. Step on forward down here. That this ancient prayer 
this ancient prayer would be beautiful and intimate and alive in you today. So what I want to do is just, I just want to pray over all you guys with these themes that we prayed for. You just lift your spirits up with me, all right? And if you want to raise your hands up to the Lord, go ahead and you do that. Father God, I pray that Jesus would be glorified in our lives, individually and collectively, that we would not live for our glory, Lord, but we would live for your glory. Lord, I pray for those under our influence that they would be protected, kept in your name for every child represented in every family, every small group member represented by the people here, every ministry partner, this greater church community, Lord, here at Calvary, that they would be protected, kept in your name and from the evil one. Lord, we pray for those in our influence that they would be sanctified, consecrated for a purpose, for a mission, that we would go into this world knowing that we have the greatest power on our side. The truth of the gospel, the truth of the word, the Holy Spirit in us that we may build your kingdom. And Lord, we pray for those who are lost, that they would know that they are loved that Jesus was sent by you, that they may believe, that they would be loved, that they would be saved, and that as we love each other, that they would know that we are Christians and that you are the Christ. And we pray for the churches in the city, Lord, that preach the gospel, that lift up your name. Lord, that you strengthen them and that you win people to the Lord through their ministry. There are so many people lost in the city, Lord. We need lots of churches to do great things for you. And we pray for them, especially our friends that we have in our lives at these churches, Lord. Do a great thing in our city. Do a great thing throughout central Illinois and our state and this world. Because you are great. And we pray this in your name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. I love you guys. You guys have a great night.